A passage uh, I'd like to read uh, for uh, my prepared message is out of John chapter 15. John chapter 15, uh, starting with verse 4, just verses 4 and 5. And this is out of the New Revised Standard Version. Abide in me as I abide in you. Just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. And those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit. Because apart from me, you can do nothing. So it seems that since the pandemic started, our homes have become more of a place of refuge. They've become places of respite, uh, relaxation, and replenishment. I know that we've lived in our present home for 17 years, and the last six months it has felt more like a refuge than any other time. It's not a matter of being attached to a material possession. It's a, it's a worthy investment. It's just more a matter of of home being somewhere that feels familiar amidst a world that often feels very unfamiliar. It has memories, it has stories. It, I know the creaks and the groans of the house. The kids' initials are in the cement on the sidewalk right beside the driveway where we initialed the wet cement right after the workers left, right after we moved into the house. When we come back from a long trip and we've been driving all day, we pull into the neighborhood and then in the driveway, we say, sort of with a welcome sigh, or at least inwardly, we're home. We're home. In the message, um, the translation called the message, uh, parts of John chapter 15 read this way. Live in me. Make your home in me just as I do in you. But if you make yourselves at home with me, and my words are at home in you, you can be sure that whatever you ask will be listened to and acted upon. Make yourselves at home in my love. If you keep my commands, you'll remain intimately at home in my love. Translators often use different words to mean the same thing. So in John chapter 15, where I read from just a few moments ago, the word abide can mean make your home in me. Sometimes it can mean to dwell or to remain. Whatever word we choose, there's a sense that to abide means to be completely at home with God. So when I'm at home, I'm myself. I feel at rest. I don't feel I have to perform. I don't have to hide who I am. It's where I can find peace. Someone visits and we say to them, make yourselves at home. And we want them to feel at ease. And maybe that's why I'm, I've been drawn to wrestle with this word abide and to share my wrestlings with you in this message. I want to feel at ease in this world, not necessarily comfortable, but I want to feel at ease, not complacent, but living from a place of deep peace and deep rest. Our world feels filled with unease and literally with dis-ease. So I long for a feeling of at ease, to be at home in this world, to be at home in my heart, many ways to be at home in God. There have been times I haven't felt at ease, um, sometimes even in God's presence. I know in my head God loves me, but sometimes I feel the need to perform or do something to validate God's love for me, so I feel um, an unease about it. I need to sometimes feel as if I have to earn God's love or justify it. 
And there's other times I haven't felt at ease in God's love, and so I end up hiding from God. Maybe not literally, because how does one hide from God? As I read in Psalm 139, um, God is with us everywhere. But I end up living a life of pretense, and sometimes I cover up my true feelings or my emotions and my concerns and my fears and my self-centeredness. So when I'm not at ease with God, I'm either hiding or I'm performing rather than abiding. So there's different ways that many of us uh, live that out. There's different ways that many of us live out that lack of uh, being at ease or are unease, but that's typically how I do it. Henry Nouwen, um, the late writer on the spiritual life, has this to say, Jesus invites us to abide in his love. That means to dwell with all that I am in him. It is an invitation to total belonging, to full intimacy, to an unlimited being with. The light of the Spirit reveals to us that love conquers all. Now, there's two authors recently that have helped me in making a shift from seeing abiding, uh, the word is just a sort of poetic biblical term, and shifting towards a way of seeing abiding as an important part of my own spiritual formation. First, I had to wrestle with what was I abiding in if I wasn't abiding in Jesus. So Brent Curtis, um, the late author Brent Curtis in his book, Sacred Romance, reflects on the whole John 15 passage of making your home in Jesus and abiding. And he writes this, Jesus was saying living spiritually requires something more than just not sinning or doing good works. In order to live in the kingdom of heaven, you must abide in me. Your identity is in me. And then Brent Curtis asks this very direct question in the book. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? That's a, that's a huge question. If I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? Now, Curtis goes on to explain that he realized that during moments of anxiety, fear, even exhaustion, he would look to other comforters as a way to soothe his pain. In moments of real vulnerability and honesty, he began to notice that his abiding places, or what he called places of comfort, would end up maybe being cynicism, or even some rebellious acting out, a violent video, or as he wrote, a little bit more alcohol than usual with his meal, um, all for the purpose to, as he says, to allow him to feel better for just a little while. And then he adds this, I had always thought of these things as just bad habits, but I began to see that they were much more. They were very spiritual abiding places. They were my own comforters and friends in a very spiritual way, literally other lovers. So Brent Curtis asks that question, if I'm not abiding in Jesus, then where is it that I abide? And what he identifies in his own life is that there are false comforters that he often gravitated towards uh, to bring him peace. And we have to often examine our own life to see if we have other false comforters that we abide in rather than finding our way at home and abiding in the peace of God and the love of God and the love of Jesus. Richard Rohr, another author, who still happens to be alive, uh, wrote in one of his most recent uh, newsletters about all that is going on around us and within us, all that seems to be occupying our attention, all the stress, all the fear, all the anxiousness, all the anger, and all the polarization. And what he says is because of that, there doesn't seem to be any more room for God 
in God's presence in our soul to dwell. It's all occupied with all of these other things. So there's no place for God to reside or to be at home or to abide. And then Richard Rohr adds these words. We cannot abide in such a place for any length of time or it will become a prison or it will become our prison. In other words, imprisoned by stress or imprisoned by fear or anxiousness or anger or even hate. And then he adds these places that we often need not abide in. God cannot abide with us in a place of fear. God cannot abide with us in a place of ill will or hatred. God cannot abide with us inside a nonstop volley of claim and counterclaim. God cannot abide with us in an endless flow of online punditry and analysis. And God cannot speak inside of so much angry noise and conscious deceit. And then he adds these words. If you allow it for too long, it will become who you are. In other words, the places and dispositions in which we choose to remain, dwell, and abide are the places that ultimately shape who we are and who we become. This is why choosing our abiding place is such an important choice, a necessary choice, in regards to the health and well-being of our souls, of my soul. They're not benign choices. These choices really matter. These places we may choose to hide or find comfort in, they really matter. Our abiding place, as I like to say, ends up, be our, ends up being our deciding place that determines the trajectory of our soul and the trajectory of our lives. So to abide is to really take a journey with God, is to welcome God into our lives as a divine presence that journeys with us. As one author, Barbara Holmes, puts it, quote, it's not an effort, but an invitation that opens the human spirit to the possibility that God may sojourn with us. So with that said, and I want to share just for a few moments the three simple ways I seek to abide as a way to open up my own human spirit to the possibility that God will be with me or that I will be with God or that I am much more aware of God's presence that is around me continually, much more aware of God's light and much more aware of God's love. The first is this, I seek to simply abide in love, to remain and dwell in God's love, to make my home in God's love so that my identity is rooted and grounded in that love. First John chapter 4, verse 16 reads, God is love. And those who abide in love abide in God, and God abides in them. To abide in God is to abide in love. And to abide in love is to abide in God. The two cannot be separated because God is love. And to make my home in the awareness that I deeply love is to be filled with God, is to know that I'm dwelling in the fullness of God, that I'm no longer seeking love or validation or recognition or acceptance outside of myself and other forms and other substitute comforters. But I am seeking all of that in the continuous love of God. And when I move away from abiding in God's love, I end up seeking all of those things in other ways. Author by the name of A.J. Sherrill wrote in a little small book entitled Quiet about the contemplative life says that when we don't abide in God's love, we tend to abide in three other areas, competency, comparison, and control. In other words, we try to be very competent to get God to love us. We try to be very competent to get people to love us. 
We compare our lives with others. How well are we doing? Are we doing better? Are we not doing good enough? And sometimes we simply try to control outcomes and we try to control life and we may even try to control life in our favor. So ultimately, the first place I seek to abide and long to abide in is in God's love, to dwell and remain in God's love. And to know that that's all I need to shape my identity and who I am. Second, I seek to simply abide in the teachings and way of Christ or the way of Jesus. Second John verse 9 reads, Everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ but goes beyond it does not have God. It's pretty direct words. Everyone who does not abide in the teaching of Christ but goes beyond it does not have God. Now this is not some overly pious statement, but it's a risky way to open up one's life. It's to be formed and shaped by a completely different way of living, by a different way of seeing, by a different narrative, a different way of understanding and imagining how our world can be. And it is counterintuitive, counterintuitive to the way life is. It is the way to abundant life. It is the way to a fulfilling life. All those things that Jesus promises us. It is to live in the way and the wisdom of the kingdom of God. It is to do unto others as I would have them do unto me. It is to love my neighbor. It is to not judge. It is to check my motives. It is to forgive. It is to love my enemy. It's to visit those in prison. It's to feed the hungry. It's to clothe the naked. To, to abide in the teachings and way of Christ. To abide in the teachings and way of Jesus. Is to have my life completely formed and shaped by the kingdom of God, by the Sermon on the Mount, by the way Jesus lived, how Jesus incarnated the life of God in this world, to look and pay attention to how Jesus lived his life and then to dwell on that and abide in that. And again, that's not overly pious um, words. Um, that's radical thinking. It's seeing life in a different way. It's transformative. And it's not always easy. Jesus called it the narrow way, the narrow way in the sense that not everyone's going to be on that road. And quite honestly, sometimes I don't walk that road. Sometimes I don't walk that way. I stumble off it a lot. Sometimes I take my way, the wide road. But this is what I want to abide in because what I have discovered, what I have learned when I have lived it faithfully as best as I can, is that Jesus' way is the best way. Jesus' way is the way that God intended life to be for wholeness and life and fullness and joy. And finally, friends, I seek to simply abide in the peaceful habitation of God's shalom, God's peace and harmonious intentions for our world. Isaiah 32, 19 reads, My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Prior to these verses, same chapter, Isaiah 32, the prophet writes, Justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness abide in the fruitful field. And the effect, he goes on to say, will be peace, and the result will be quietness and trust forever. In other words, I seek to abide and dwell in God's vision, in God's dream of a world where there is wholeness, where there is peace, where there is harmony. And that is the result of God working through you and I and making things right in our world. It's dwelling and abiding in God's intentions, in which God intends for there to be security for all, peace for all, wholeness for all, rest for all. And when I'm dwelling in that vision, when I'm abiding in that vision, 
and what Isaiah imagines. It becomes more of a reality and a possibility, but in other words, it helps me to imagine what the world can be. It helps me to imagine and see what God intends for this world. And it helps me to move in that direction. And it helps me to see places in life and in our world where that is actually happening and to know that that is where God is at work. So I seek to abide in the peaceful habitation of God's shalom, God's wholeness and harmonious peace and God's intentions for our world. This past week, I learned about Eddie Hillison. Eddie Hillison was a young Jewish woman who died in a Nazi concentration camp, Auschwitz, at only 29 years old. After the Nazis invaded the Netherlands, she had opportunities to join the resistance and even go into hiding, but she chose not to do any of those. In many ways, she readily accepted her fate, but that seemed to unleash within her a fierce desire to really live life with abandon and with a sense of bringing beauty to those around her, so much so that she actually traveled to what's called a transit camp where she knew she would eventually be and other folks would eventually be transported to Auschwitz in Poland. And at that point, about a thousand folks a week were being transported literally to their death. But Eddie Hillison went to this transit camp to be with the other prisoners, uh, to be with those who had been imprisoned and, and marked um, for death. And while in this transit camp, which was called Westerberg, she began to keep a diary. And this diary uh, is a record of her own spiritual transformation that was taking place within her soul. People who survived the war would describe her as radiant and how she would move from barrack to barrack, providing a listening ear and a kind word to everyone. One of her journal entry reads this way, quote, there is a really deep well inside me and in it dwells God. And sometimes I am there too but more, but more often, stones and grit block the well, and God is buried beneath. And then God must be dug out again. And then in another entry, as if she's keeping this same stream of thought, she writes, And that is all we can manage these days, and also all that really matters. That we safeguard that little piece of you, God, in ourselves, and perhaps in others as well. We must help you, God, and defend your dwelling place inside us to the last. I love that phrase, to defend that dwelling place inside us to the last, to safeguard that place within all of us in which God dwells, to safeguard that home, that, that, that place in which God abides in us and we abide in God, to defend it to the last. It is said that Eddie's last words were found on a postcard thrown out of the train on its way to her death in Auschwitz. And as they left the transit camp in Westerberg, and on the postcard it simply said, we left the camp singing. What an amazing testimony. This, this young 29-year-old woman who lived in, in such fear, who lived uh, in such uh, tumultuous uh, times, who lived in, in, in this, this sense of impending death, safeguarded this dwelling place inside of her, this place where she discovered God and she allowed God to discover her so she could live this life of, of, of beauty, this life of radiance, this life of bringing joy to others so that as she is leaving this transit camp, as she is taking and is on this train to Auschwitz, she is able to say, we left the camp 
singing. Maybe in some ways we are invited to eventually leave this world singing. Singing a grace note of God. Singing a grace note of God's beauty and God's love. Because we have safeguarded that place inside of us. There is a deep well inside of you. And inside of it dwells God. And sometimes we dwell or abide there as well. And often the stones, often the grit of life, often the pandemics and the anxiousness, the uncertain futures, the polarization and a world seemingly turned upside down bury God. But as Ellie Hillison writes, God must be dug out again. So friends, let's safeguard that little piece of God within all of us. Let's abide there. Let's dwell there. Let's make our home there so that we can also safeguard that little piece of God in others. And maybe that is all that we can manage these days. Maybe that's all we can manage in this moment. But in this moment and in these days, that often seems enough. And maybe, just maybe, we will be able to say, when it's all done, we left this world singing.